Welcome back to the Mysteria podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I am your host, Marcus Da Silva, and my guest today is Ms. Amanda Clegg. Amanda is a relationship coach, and in our discussion for today, we primarily focus the topics around her profession, as well as a particular tool that she uses in her work and also just in her day-to-day life, that being the Enneagram. The Enneagram is a personality-based growth system, and I think that's probably just the easiest way to, if I had to summarize it in one sentence, that's how I would summarize it. Very briefly, I'm just going to refer to a few excerpts from a book that I used during my podcast with Amanda, Uh, this book being The Complete Enneagram, 27 Paths to Greater Self-Knowledge, written by Beatrice Chestnut. In order to change behavior to achieve personal growth, we must develop one capacity. We must develop the ability to create the mental and emotional space inside ourselves to observe and understand what we are doing and think about why we do it. From this starting point of being able to see our thoughts and feelings in action instead of just being absorbed by them, we can begin to see more clearly where and how we are stuck in a habit and how we can make the conscious choice to do something different. One thing that comes up quite frequently throughout the Enneagram is this idea of archetype. Uh, And just to give a a brief reminder of that, according to Carl Jung, archetypes are typical modes of apprehension or patterns of psychic perception and understanding common to all human beings. Jung took this concept of the archetype from the ancient Greeks who viewed the world in terms of archetypal principles which reflect the vision of the cosmos as an ordered expression of certain primordial essences or transcendent first principles and archetypes as clarifying universals in the chaos of human life. And lastly, the basic core of the teaching associated with the Enneagram reflects the ability to observe and reflect upon your experience through the development of an inner witness, which allows you to acquire greater self-knowledge and create the possibility of attaining a higher state of consciousness. The Enneagram not only provides a great deal of help in the process of increasing self-awareness by showing the inner witness what to pay attention to, but also provides a method for how we can change and grow based on that vision. As such, it provides a much-needed map for those of us who seek to understand ourselves on a deeper level. The Enneagram describes three centers of intelligence, nine personality types and 27 subtypes that provide an amazingly accurate picture of personality in terms of the patterns associated with the way we function. So it's a lot of information getting hammered at you within three minutes of listening to this podcast. Uh, <laughs> but the, the key ideas here are detachment. So this idea of being able to take a step back and to observe and analyze our thoughts, behaviors, etc. Doing so gives us a different perspective or rather just increases our perspective. We have an ability to see what it is that's going on rather than just being totally absorbed in it. And the fact that the Enneagram is a map. So that's very important because a map orients you it tells you where you are, it shows you where you can go and where you've came from. 
And without further ado, let's get to the episode. So Amanda's website is in the episode description as well as her Instagram handle. So you can check out what she's doing. There are two links to an Enneagram type test and an Enneagram instinct test. I highly recommend both tests. It doesn't take very long to get through and you get a very detailed breakdown of your results. Thank you very much for tuning in and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Amanda. First, just as like a general relationship coach question, having to do with boundaries. So how do we even know what our boundaries are? Because that doesn't seem like a very straightforward process. And then how do you articulate that to your partner Mm -hmm. and work that out? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, boundaries is going to look different for every type, but I feel like a universal way to begin to identify our own boundaries is to feel into where are we experiencing resentment in our relationship. Mm. Resentment is a really good cue that our boundaries are being crossed in some way. And really when I said feeling into it, going into our body and identifying those sensations and beginning to put words to that. But many people across the board experience resentment in their relationship. And that's usually a clear sign or a clear indication that we have a boundary that needs to be set. As far as resentment goes, I can't remember where I was, I was listening to a lecture or something. I have, I've been having a lot of stuff on in the background lately. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of having a tough time because you're half paying attention to stuff, right? So I'm like trying to locate it. But as far as resentment is concerned, that's a pretty bad one in a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say it's bad when it's built over the years, when it's really stuffed down and repressed then it can turn very vicious. So I feel like when it's identified early on, it's much more manageable to meet. And as a relationship coach, if the couple can't necessarily identify what they're resentful about specifically, how do you kind of help them unpack that? I feel like for the most part, people can identify it. I usually make a joke early on (laughs) in my work with couples about how like it's never about the socks on the floor or the dishes in the sink or the toilet paper roll because you'd be surprised the fights that come out of little things like that. Pretty explosive fights and deep resentments, but it's what's what we make it mean. So for example, you leave your socks on the floor all the time and it's, I don't matter to you. You don't care about me at all. You don't respect me. And we're getting to those core issues. And that's where boundaries can be set. Or if we're thinking like in conflict, as an example, if you're my partner and you start yelling at me, I might notice resentment or being afraid or feeling disrespected. And that's where boundary comes in. If you continue to speak to me that way, I will not engage in conversation with you. When you're grounded, I will be happy to talk to you. That's how we set a boundary. Not stop yelling at me. Because ultimately, that's trying to control you, where boundaries are about me and us. So boundaries are meant to 
preserve relationships. They're meant to bring people closer together. So if we use the example of you yelling at me, if I want to feel closer to you, but it scares me or overwhelms me when you're raising your voice, then we're not engaging healthily or feeling connected. So if I can identify, I feel overwhelmed when you speak to me that way. So I share an I feel statement and it would mean a lot to me if we could speak from a calmer place. So it's kind of identifying the feeling and then sharing the need slash boundary. And ultimately, if you don't respect that, then that's when I walk away. Well, that's a classic uh, sitcom argument, mm -hmm. couple argument, right? Because mm -hmm. like even in that example, like you went from socks on the floor to you don't respect me from like one sentence to the next. Like yep. that's a that's a pretty and big that escalation. Happens, that happens in session though, <laughs> right. and people don't realize that's what it is. So that's where I educate on okay, what's the deeper meaning here? Because that's why the fights feel so volatile, is what we're making things mean. Mm -hmm. And then as far as the boundaries go, um, how do you kind of like rein that in? Because it, it seems like that could... Okay, well, boundaries are about you. Like yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that seems like that can at least somewhat constrain the parameters through which you develop them. Because if you start putting boundaries on the other person, that's where it becomes problematic, right? Because then now it's, now it becomes about control. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And how do you kind of, or is that a, a situation that comes up that you see where the, the boundaries are kind of now no longer boundaries now they're just like attempting to control someone else's behavior even mm -hmm. though what you want is a boundary yeah okay yeah and i just feel like that's people not understanding the nature of creating and setting boundaries and it's not to say that people are trying to be controlling it's just that growing up we often weren't taught the language around it that's so if, right. you, if we're fighting you start yelling at me and i say stop screaming i could think that's a boundary because i'm telling you what i need but i'm not actually laying out what I need or why it's important. Mm -hmm. That must be challenging because if you say stop yelling, that's actually very straightforward. Super straightforward. <laughs> it's two words, very yeah. clear. And I, I mean, it could be respected, but the whole point I think is to help people drop into empathy too, where if you're my partner and I share with you how something makes me feel, the hope is that you empathize with that versus like, you're so disrespectful, stop yelling at me then you're gonna get defensive. I might get defensive back, and then we just keep escalating. What role does empathy and forgiveness play? Is there a relationship between the two of those things? I think there's a huge relationship between them. I think in relationship, it's a constant process of empathy and forgiveness. Right. Yeah. And how do you kind of work that? Like what happens if Cause yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to separate those two, right? Cause if you're empath, well, so, okay. I don't know. You tell me now. Cause <laughs> if you're empathizing, can you not be forgetful? Like, does that even work? And saying like vice versa, if you're trying to forgive someone, I think that requires empathy. Like that's, that's part of the nature of forgiveness, isn't it? Or I don't know. It depends. I think on what's happening to the relationship after. I can think uh, of people okay. in my life that I've forgiven them, but they're no longer a part of my life. Right. And perhaps empathy is the glue that keeps us together. 
So how do you know then when it's, um, so, okay, playing off of that, mm -hmm. the, the empathy forgiveness relationship or dance, right? Those two kind of moving together. What do you do then? Or how do you know when it's time to just walk away from a relationship, whether it's mm -hmm. friendship or, um, you know, something a little more deeper, like what, what, I mean, I know for me, but I kind of have a short fuse. <laughs> doesn't, take, doesn't, take, doesn't take a lot for me where I'm like, goodbye. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I've had to work on that yeah. by the way, but I think also being a little bit from my part, just being a little bit less emotionally charged about it or reactive about it has mm -hmm. helped where you can, cause if you're being empathetic, you actually you can't really be that emotional because that actually does require a fair bit of, um, you got to use your brain for that. You know what I mean? Like you really have to be okay. Like thinking critically and okay, what's going on here and why is it I feel this way and how should I feel? Right. Um, yeah. Just kind of curious about that. About when to know. Yeah. To walk or away. how do you know? How yeah. do you know? That's a loaded question. I'm good for those. Yeah. Well, it's hard because I'm trying to I'm trying to think of universal answers, but that's right. a really hard one. I feel like is the relationship mutual? Are you both putting in efforts to repair? Do you both want to repair? And if not, if one person is out the door, then that's when you know. Like, that's pretty telltale. Yeah. If I'm partnered with someone and I share my needs and I share my boundaries and my desires and they're not respected and I've made them clear I'll say multiple times because we're human and we don't yeah. all think the same way and sometimes things go over our head but if you've made multiple repair attempts and nothing has changed that could be a good indicator that it's time to leave a relationship I have one that I like to I've started to use but like I said I had to kind of dial back the, the emotional reactivity towards which is um if you spend time or when you spend time with that person when you leave if you feel uh if you don't feel better than you did before you walked in the door to hang out with that person i think that's usually like a marker um for like mm, something's maybe just a bit amiss here because you should kind of feel not like you gotta be like super over the top positive emotion, but you just kind of like either a contentment or just like, okay, that was good. I enjoyed that. It was fun. But yeah, if you're kind of walking away, like just sort of feeling bummed out or, and then I think neutral, cause that's kind of weird too. Like you just spent time with someone and you're like, meh about yeah. it. <laughs> that's, yeah. I don't know, maybe a marker for something. Yeah. I can definitely think of scenarios like that where I leave and it's almost like that energy vampire when you think of yeah, that and you just one. know in your body that that person isn't good for you but then I also want to challenge what you're saying because mm. when people have you're like yes good challenge me very much um, <laughs> when people have experienced trauma sometimes when they spend time with someone and then they leave there can be almost a trauma response after or even social anxiety after so someone might be really drained because they get so in their head or so stuck in their stories oh, yeah. where they're overthinking everything so i wouldn't want to get those two confused like the difference between someone genuinely just not being good for you and taking away from you versus you being stuck in your own pain yeah. That makes sense. That what's cool about that 
is logically the distinction is fairly significant, but emotionally and feeling wise, it's actually very subtle. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. So how do you kind of work that out then? As far as, um, not even specific to this, but just in general, having to work out the subtleties of a situation, um, or that emotional response that you have with another person, as far as it could be them, but it could be me. Mm. How do you kind like, how do you know, how do you work that out within yourself? I mean, I would imagine quoting from the textbook, <laughs> uh, detachment is a part of that because mm -hmm. you have to step back and at least observe the situation and then try and, okay, this is the information I have. What does that mean? This is the information I have. And just start unpacking it from a step back perspective. Yeah. I would imagine that's more like the first steps, but I'm just kind of curious about, because what I'm curious about you, especially is you have that, you get both sides. You have the coaching perspective, then you just have your own, mm -hmm. you know, experiences with that. Yeah. So that, yeah, I'm kind of interested as far as like your, your two, two wing perspective on that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I feel like taking time to process the actual interaction you had with that person. If it was positive, fun, pleasurable in nature, and then after you're experiencing an energy drain, that could be an indicator that there's some fears and stories in there. But if you're spending time with someone and you're genuinely not enjoying yourself, or you feel like you're trying to force it or you're not being treated well, and then you leave feeling that way, then... That could be a good way to identify between the two. It's the second time you said it, and I'm just a little bit interested about it. Uh, you said fears and stories. Yeah. Stor what do you mean by stories? The stories we tell ourselves. Ah, okay. But yeah, I feel like, I mean, I'm a four, so I'm a very good storyteller, but in like general... you make a lot of shit up? Or? I make a lot of shit up. <laughs> oh, yeah, and it feels real. That's like a core part of my type is like, that's, yeah, it's Kid creating stories. Okay, just really quickly, because I just oh, want to push you on it. Can you tell the distinction between the stories, or is there a point where it just kind of becomes all the same? Oh, that's such a great question. The stories are, as a four for me, the stories can be all-consuming. It feels like that's what's really okay. going on. But it's often rooted in information that was never said so i filled in the blanks so right. that's how i know when it's a story i mean ultimately we can only take things at face value but as a four i can create a whole world of scenarios that are not very fun i'm just kind of spitballing yeah is that a heuristics issue where you're trying to uh heuristics as far as neuropsychology is like the the, the the little tricks and hacks that we use to process information very very quickly mm -hmm. as a survival instinct yeah um or just that's just our natural processing so is do you think that could be where that because that kind of sounds like I'm, I'm learning i'm reading a fair bit so yeah. i'm just trying to connect as much <laughs> as much as i can but i don't know do you think that's what because yeah it's that filling key key phrase filling in the blanks filling in the blanks yeah so it, our, our type structure in general is a protective mechanism. So for their storytelling, it's a protection mechanism that logically doesn't sound like it makes sense, but it's to protect them from pain. If I create my own pain, then one, it's like validating 
the stories of my type structure that I'm not good enough, I'm defective in some way, someone's going to abandon me, whatever it may be. So if I'm in control of that pain, then I won't actually be hurt. It feels like more of a risk. It feels like more of a risk as a four to allow happiness in, which is very confusing as I say it because I love being happy and having a good time and all of the things, but it also feels scary. There's that deep, in a four, that deep childhood belief that it's not okay to be too functional or too happy. That's super interesting. So when things start going really well, time to <laughs> blow it up. It's like, let's <laughs> fuck this shit up. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. It's sad. <laughs> As we both, we're just coping. We're just coping with the sadness. Yeah, that is. That sounds. Um, that sounds very frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like a frustrating thing. Yeah, it's taken a long time for me to learn that I deserve to be happy. As you are. As I am. Okay. Because mm-hmm. that's what I got reading about a three that I thought was interesting. You can be loved, but you got to earn it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And for a four, it's you can be loved if you're unique or special. That sounds problematic though, because how on earth do you define unique or special? Is that kind of the conundrum with that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like a pain. Because, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the subjectivity of that. Yeah, because you might, you might do something to make you... Mm-hmm. Well, okay, actually, no, pardon me. Erase all that. Okay. Isn't the idea that you are unique and special just As already? Because that makes sense. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the issue. Yeah. Got it. But for heart types, so two, three, and fours, our self-worth from a place of type structure is based on the opinion of others. That's right. Until we do the inner work and it's like, I don't have to do or be anything. I'm just loved as I am. And I don't have to be unique or special. I'm just Amanda and I love myself. Right. Okay. Good segue. I forgot how we ended up here. Yes. And I don't remember. So I'm just going to move forward. (laughs) (laughs) Set up slow. My bad. My bad. Um, Let's talk about the Enneagram then, because we're throwing out a lot of heart types and type yes. type numbers. And Okay. Do you want to introduce just what on earth is... What is an Enneagram? What is that? What the is Enneagram it? system. Go. <laughs> yeah. So the Enneagram system, essentially it's a personality system that identifies nine different types. So each type has an automatic way of thinking, feeling, acting that stems from a deeper inner motivation or worldview. So... Within the Enneagram and the nine types, there are a few different groups of three called triads. And what we're talking about right now when I said heart type is Enneagram shows us that we have three brains, our head, our heart, and a body. So as humans, we have access to all three, but as our type, we lead with one. So types two, three, and four are heart types. So leading more with the emotions, with their feelings. Types five, six, and seven are head types, so much more logical, analytical. And eight, nine, and one are body types, so more of that gut sense, that kinesthetic knowing, which can be helpful for typing. And as far as the role, let's let's tie it to a relate your relationship coaching. Yeah. Did you come upon the Enneagram in your own life, then go 
then you just happened to become a relationship coach and you tied that in or, you know, what was that process? Yeah. So I found the Enneagram. It was a personal journey for me first. And I was at a place in my life where I was doing a lot of inner work and I just felt like I kept hitting a wall no matter what I was doing. And when the Enneagram found me, it was it felt like the answers to all of my problems. It, it gave me the why behind everything. So I was caught in the same cycle and just nothing was really shifting for me. And the Enneagram helps us not just identify behaviors and traits, but why do we do what we do and how do we grow? And that's, that's one right. of the biggest differences between the Enneagram and other personality systems. It's a growth oriented model. And that's why I love it so much. It's very action based. There's an antidote to everything. And it covers all of the layers of being human where other personality systems, it's much more cognitive. This is emotional. So you get people in session or in workshops and they're melting in tears because we're finally touching on these really deep parts of themselves that maybe they haven't met before. Well said. Thanks. <laughs> it's like you, it's like you know about this stuff, right? Yeah. So as far as, okay, so it's a map. That's, a that's, map. yeah, it's a map. It's a growth. It, so it is a system. It's yes. like the Enneagram system. Um, it's growth based. And it's a map. So just as you said, what's cool about a map is it shows you where you are, where you're going, and where you've been. Yes. That's critical. Yeah. Because that's also how you can orient yourself within that growth path that you take. Because you can at least identify certain things. And because it's personality-based, you can uh, identify your proclivities for different things whether it's thoughts emotions and behaviors yeah i mean take the enneagram out of it as humans we are we live in patterns yes so the enneagram helps us identify what those patterns are very very clearly and the theory behind it essentially is that we're born our type almost so if you think about babies you meet different babies they all have different kind of temperaments yeah that's what we're born with and then around age seven or eight that's when our type structure or personality really solidifies so a lot of enneagram work is actually inner child work it's a lot of healing from our past and to make it clear too, sometimes people ask me like, can we be more than one type? We do only have one type. There are different factors into why we look different over the years, but ultimately it's the growth journey. But the theory behind it is we are born our type and it does not change as much as we might want it to sometimes. Yeah. Well, and, and I've been thinking about that too, as far as, cause like, I don't, I don't really think some dumb show I was watching <laughs> and it was like, you know, people never, people can change. And I'm like, bullshit, people don't change. And I kind of, you know, it was a joke and I kind of thought about it and I'm like, okay, let's rephrase. <laughs> Do people, so to the type. Yeah. No, not really. You got that type. You have your wing types mm -hmm. and there's subtypes. So there's, there's specificity um, where it kind of becomes into like a higher focus or higher resolution. Yeah. That can appear as change maybe but largely not really what the change is is your hopefully your behaviors that's the thing that can because there's stuff that i do now 
and stuff that I don't do now that I did before that I'm like, you know what? That's not a very helpful behavior. Mm -hmm. So what's, what's driving me to do that? What's the underlying thought feeling, uh, habitual pattern behind that? And then maybe let's just tweak it. (laughs) Let's tweak that behavior. Yeah. That's where change it's, can appear. It, it's all growth within ourselves so we kind of there's levels of development in the enneagram and essentially i don't love the language but the way it's taught is like unhealthy average and healthy so we can <laughs> grow if i look at the levels of development for a four i can see where i've been in my life in some of my darkest moments and i can also see some of where i am when i'm doing my best too and the goal is just how can we essentially be the most aware version of ourselves and I guess ultimately, too, if we're really doing the work and we're living in those higher qualities, we probably are touching on some of the highest qualities of all the types, too. So we don't necessarily become all nine types, but we have a lot to learn from each type. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm so grateful for with the with the podcast is because I've, I've gotten to meet people who are uh, politically all over the spectrum, age all over the place where they lived socioeconomic status occupations like you can't pinpoint anything um which i'm very grateful for because that's what has allowed me to learn so much and especially from the people who are most different where i'm like i don't really know if i necessarily agree with what it is that you do or your your thoughts about something but what we mutually agree on is that we're in a space where we can interact and Actually, even though we are very different, we do have much more in common than we, than we don't. Um, so I guess that empathy, yeah, I mean, geez, talk about an empathy building exercise. Yeah. Start talking to all the different types. Exactly. (laughs) Well, that's one of the biggest realizations people have is usually one, it's, I'm not crazy. Other people think the way I do (laughs) and oh, not everyone thinks the way I do because we see the world through our lens and sometimes we just assume that everyone else sees it that way. So that's where empathy really comes in, especially for couples, is when they start to understand their partner's type and their own and the way they view the world. Since you brought it up, I'll just ask you really quickly, but then I got a thing. We touched on it, so we'll call back to it. Um, But with couples... um, trying to figure out quite the way to phrase it but once you do the um well actually let's do it we'll we'll ease into it are there certain type numbers that um tend to go well together or tend not to go well together or is it really just a matter of um has more to do with where you are on the growth chart than the actual number that you're oriented in Yeah, I would say it has more to do with where you are in the growth chart or your own inner work journey. I feel like any two people doing the work have the potential to work well together. I have seen some more volatile couples and patterns like that, but for the most part, I think any two types can work together. As a relationship coach, do you ever have couples that come in that are actually doing pretty well that just want to do better? Yeah, is that's, that common? Yeah, that's a really cool thing about using the Enneagram. Is that's I nice feel to like hear. I, yeah, I yeah. feel like <laughs> there's a lot of my work where it's more people coming in for conflict, communication, intimacy, infidelity, addiction, things of that nature. 
and they might not even know what the Enneagram is and then I get to teach them. And then other people come in that just love the Enneagram and they just, they want a quote unquote better relationship. So I have a good mix of couples who I would say are doing really well and just want to continue that and just understand themselves more, which is like my favorite thing because the minute we think we've learned our partner, I feel like that's a losing game. It's a lifelong journey of learning and falling in love with our partner. And that's why I love the Enneagram is it gives that language for couples to speak again and again and again. That sounds kind of lame too, isn't it? Like to me at least where it's like, I know everything about this person. Like, oh, what? Yeah. Like it's the ride's over. Like, I don't know. That's yeah. what that sounds like to me. Like the ride's over. Like that's not a good thing. <laughs> I know. You'd be surprised though. Some people, I mean, that's, that's what I hear. Or they just, I guess this is my own four, like an Enneagram. I'm the romantic. I just love love. And I love the idea of continuously falling in love with different versions of our partner that we'll meet throughout the years. But I'm just a softie. So that's probably why I'm, I do the work that I do. I feel like I was put on this earth to love be loved and teach other people how to love <laughs> well cue empathy and forgiveness right yeah. that's a nice little tie into that because that that continual process of i agree with you by the way i'm 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 in, i'm into that what you said i'm not gonna say <laughs> it but what you said <laughs> you <Ditto. know>. um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> touche um that's probably why i get frustrated with like I don't watch rom-coms, but I, I, Devil Wears Prada is like my top three favorite movie. <laughs> top three. <laughs> For real, top I've three. I've never seen it. It's so damn good. <laughs> and every time I watch it, I always get mad at that asshole boyfriend that she got. I'm oh, like, no. man, this dude sucks. Like, what are you doing? Get yeah. out of here. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to attribute it to that. Okay. I just love love so much. I just... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, um, the process of... Uh, falling in love and um, re-falling in love, just that kind of continual spectrum of it. Uh, I recently spent time with a lot of people, a lot of couples who have been married for four plus decades, okay. which was very interesting because there was like a lot of them, <laughs> like all together in one place. And so I'm like, geez, this is, this is an interesting thing. That was something that they didn't, um, I don't really know if anyone said it in those words, not that I can recall, but from what, cause I'd ask them about their relationship. Like just like, that's an, that's a major accomplishment. Something to be very proud of that. I don't think it's a lot of credit in society today. No. I don't think that's very valued, which is unfortunate. Yeah. It's sad. We'll, we'll leave that for the same and closely related to that is like family in general, but that's okay. Maybe we'll come back to that later, yeah. but we'll leave it for now. But yeah, they would they would basically say that it it's that process of just like being so in love now, decades later. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's so exciting too, isn't it? Like that sounds awesome. Like what a what a thing to strive for, you know? Okay. Mm -hmm. Good talk. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> trying to think there was one more quick thing that I wanted to talk about that I'm forgetting. No. I'll, if I remember, we'll come back, but okay. we'll move on to this bit. Okay. We very briefly um, scrubbed by it um, earlier on, but talking about personality and the personality that we have is how we solve the world's problems or the problems in our world. Mm -hmm. That's better said. I mean, helps us do both. <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, and so 
there's this idea of false self and true self. Yeah. And it's just a couple sentences. I just want to read it from the book because it's well said. According to, the, uh, according to the wisdom tradition associated with the model, personality is seen as a false, false self necessary up to a point to interact safely in the world, but also the means by which we lose touch with our true self, which gets buried in the background as our false self comes into the forefront to deal with life. So that being said, the idea... I'm okay, so maybe I'll just give it to you then. I struggle a little bit with the language of false self and true self because it's it's not necessarily false, but like it is because like I do get that as far as the context through which it's being described in relation to the Enneagram. How do you kind of um, solve that for yourself? Um, a lot of self in this <laughs> self words being used in this question, but. Um, how much, how do you kind of reconcile or, or at least for the listener who's like, okay, trying to figure out what it is that we're talking about when we talk about true self and false self, how does that kind of play out internally? How can you maybe describe that in a little more detail? Yeah. First I'll touch on the language because yeah. you're going to run into a lot of different language, whether it's just in the personal development world or the Enneagram world. So the language I use is type structure and true self. So when people are learning about right. the Enneagram and essentially we're learning the hardest parts about being human, that's type structure. And then the higher qualities, that's our true self. But false self can also be interchanged with our shadow, could be interchanged with ego. So ultimately it's just whatever language really resonates with you. To me, it's all the same. Okay, yeah. that helps. So related to that, I got a couple other sentences. <laughs> uh, so as in Western psychology, the Enneagram view the personality as a false self that develops to allow your vulnerable and young true self to adapt, fit in, and survive among other humans. This perspective holds that personality is a defensive or compensatory self whose coping strategies develop to help us fulfill our needs and reduce our anxieties. So... I like that because that, I mean, it makes a little more sense, but also the idea that, um, and pardon me, swap out false self for type structure. Yeah, okay. sure. Uh, that the type structure is actually very important because that, I mean, that's what allows you to move and navigate your way through the world as you interact with it. That's kind of important. Yep. <laughs> so there's, there is great utility in that. And then I think the process though is unification of those two things it's not one get rid of your type structure get rid of your false self that's not gonna happen anyway it's about that unity of of those two things and then shadow yeah, and that's shadow what i, I would fun. love for people to be mindful of because i hear it a lot in this space of people getting angry with their ego or their shadow or trying their, to shame their way out of it and to me, that's the opposite of what we need to be doing. This is where we need the most empathy and compassion and understanding because our type structure developed almost like a cast around our body. That's one of my favorite teachers described it that way. Some people might have a cast for a broken arm. Others, they might have experienced so much trauma that their cast is their entire body. 
and our job is to heal that over time. So if we take type three, for instance, in childhood, they learned that in order to be loved, they needed to achieve. The more they achieved, the more mom, dad, caretaker, whoever it may be, love them. So that's a compensatory strategy that as an adult turns into this incessant drive to complete tasks and goals and yeah, you're nodding a lot, right? Like that, that's the experience of a three. So to me, it's like when we go back and look at that or a type two who just learns that, oh, if I give and give and give and give, people love me more. Why would we shame that part of us? It's been doing nothing but to try and help us. So that's, for me, that's the work is essentially loving ourselves like crazy, loving that part of ourselves, and saying as adults, thank you for taking care of me so long, but I, I'm going to do it differently now. So even me as a four with the melancholy and the storytelling, it's like, thank you for keeping me safe for all those years. But you know what? I actually want to experience all that life has to offer. And if something bad does happen that is hard and hurtful, I'll deal with it then. But why can't I think that the, the most positively? Why can't I do that? Even as I say that, though, that's really scary. <laughs> it's so scary. <laughs> so what do you do with that, then? Like, what you're like, just please stop asking me. No, 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 no. <laughs> like, so, well, this is the thing, is our type structure feels like truth. So even as I said that, my immediate response would have been, like, hand on heart. No, Amanda. It's kind of that kind of cheesy affirmation stuff, but it's true. Like, I deserve to be happy. I deserve good things. Like quite literally, you'll do like you oh yeah, I'll do, my yeah. Well, yeah. that's um, dorsal something. Yeah, forget that. It's like a hug. It's a butt, yeah. It's something in our brain. I think it's yeah. oxytocin, right? I'm not sure. I think. Oh, let's hope I'm right on that one. Yeah. It's one of those, whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> you want to talk about shadow? Sure. Okay. What are your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> I'll throw it to you like this. Okay. I've been working on. Uh, so, okay. Originally I thought of the shadow as a single, uh, let's personify that. Like, let's literally just personify the shadow as a way to understand it and to visually see it. It's just a visual exercise. So I started to do that for the specific purpose of utilizing those negative energies mostly being anger, maybe, I don't really say it's jealousy, but it's, it's competition. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's hard to tell between jealousy and competition, but I've, I've never really that jealous of someone else. I'm just like, I just want to beat you. So I don't really get jealous. I'm just like, I can take you. <laughs> so I'd like to think, cause at least you can work with that a little bit easier. Jealousy seems a little bit more challenging to deal with. Um, but that's okay. Conversation for another day. <laughs> Hypothesis. As I got through the process of um, personifying the shadow, I realized that, oh, actually, I can't use one single personification because there's more than just the one or two negative emotions there. There's multiple. And under the context, it's different too. So I kind of had to throw that out the window. And then I just focused on give me one negative, quote unquote, because that's a thing. It's not necessarily negative, but give me one negative emotion, energy source to choose. And so I picked anger 
Anger is a really good one if you're trying to achieve things. Mm-hmm. It's a really good one to use if you if you understand how to nuance it. Because it's like uh, it's like driving a, a McLaren, right? You can wrap that thing around a pole really quickly, or you can rip around a, a racetrack. It's skill. Can you handle that type of intensity? It takes practice, and you'll probably crash a few times as you're <laughs> you you might, might have a few accidents along the way. So the, the process of having to capitalize and, uh, or pardon me, utilize anger in order to achieve particular things that I, particular goals that I wanted to also helped me to empathize with that emotion because anger, cause you get told, don't be angry. Like just like those things that you hear growing up, like put on a good face or don't, you know, don't be so reactive or those things that you just kind of get thrown at you off the cuff. You shouldn't be telling someone don't get angry. That's well, again, it's just a very unsophisticated way of saying it. What you're really saying is that the negative emotion that you feel led to behaviors that were not necessarily productive. They harmed you. They harmed someone else to whatever degree. It's just not a very productive use of that energy, okay? You want to use that energy, that anger, because, yeah, you should feel angry at certain things, and you're human. I mean, anger is a very human thing. You have to understand how to nuance that and utilize that for something that's productive that doesn't harm you or harm someone else. And it's also that, I think it was uh, Dalai Lama. It's been said a lot, but anger is like... uh, holding a hot coal that you want to throw at someone, you're the only one that gets burned because you're holding it. So it really is only going to negatively affect you. Long story short, or short story long, because I've been rambling, I found that process at this stage of my life, or at least the last couple years stage, to be very, very helpful at getting to a place of empathy and a non-judgmental space where I can work with that shadow side. And I've caught myself where I'm like, oh, damn, I probably interacted with some people where I like, <laughs> probably should have done a little bit of a better job at that, you know. Um, but overall, it's actually been not so bad. So as far as throwing it to you, with maybe start from your perspective as, the, as a relationship coach, how, and the Enneagram, how do you work with couples as far as getting them to a place where they can empathize with their own shadow side? And is it a, a, a practice where you also want the, the two people in the relationship to understand each other's shadow side? Like, is that important too? Yes. Okay. Yes, it's definitely <laughs> important. <clears throat> The first step for me is awareness. So that's why I love the Enneagram in particular because it gives us awareness of these patterns. And one of my mentors used to say, awareness alone doesn't create change. So it's great that I can teach the theory or that I can give my clients resources to learn about their communication style, their defense mechanism, their emotional patterns, all the things. But ultimately they need to be able to see it in themselves and 
have a partner who's willing to do the same. So one thing I'll always tell my clients too is don't weaponize the Enneagram. Don't say, oh, you're being such an eight or you're being such a one. (laughs) It happens all the time. It happens. (laughs) That cuts deep. Yeah. And I mean, I will caveat it with, I think playfulness to me is one of the highest qualities to have in a relationship. So if you're playfully doing it and your partner is meeting you in that, game on. Totally. That's fun. Yeah, that's fun. But with that awareness, something the Enneagram teaches, and it's really a form of mindfulness, but they teach us about the inner observer. So the inner observer is the neutral, non-judgmental voice within us that can just witness our thoughts, our feelings, our actions. And the biggest piece of that is with non-judgment. So as our type structure comes up, again, one of my mentors, I love her dearly, she would always do hand on heart and say, of course. So of course that's coming up for you, Amanda. Of course you're feeling that way. So just validating the fourness or validating whatever type, meeting that neutrally and just seeing it happen right so i was talking about the stories i can see the stories happening i can get consumed by them or i can just go oh here i go again (laughs) and i can create a new pathway so i i have the power and we have the power to do that within ourselves and then in relationship to do that with our partner so when we start learning about the theory and our defense mechanisms then perhaps in conflict we can notice it as it shows up or conflict style, right? So in there's three conflict styles in the Enneagram, the competency, positive outlook, and reactive. So as a three, you're in the competency, one, three, and five. Two, seven, and nine are positive outlook, and four, six, and eight are reactive. That's one of the first things that couples, when they learn about it, they're like, oh my God, this makes so much sense. <laughs> yeah, <bet>. And as <laughs> soon as they have a way to work with it, then all of a sudden now, Maybe we're incorporating all three conflict styles. We need people to get reactive because those are the ones that deal with their emotions. We need the positive outlook because that gives us a path to go. And we need the competency group to make sure we're having calm, cool, collected conversations and we're not in screaming matches. But as soon as we start to understand these things, then it's a mutual effort to work with it. So as a four and a three, I would want to come in and talk about my feelings I'd want to share with you everything that's going on for me and I want to hear what's going on with you and you'd want to make sure we handle it like mature, sensible adults. That sounds pretty accurate. And I'd want to do it like... I gotta go now. (laughs) Yeah. And it has to happen right now. And as a four, it's like... Or six or eight, it's like it needs to happen right now. But hey, perhaps in growth, I can actually give my five partner who really needs space to process their emotions, I can give them some time and I can go work on self-regulating and then we can come back and have a calm conversation, right? So it gives us those really clear steps. I don't mind that we got to do this right now. I don't <laughs> mind that. I'm actually, I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> it, I, I'm trying to look for, I can't remember where it is in the book, I highlighted it. Um, for a three, it was something called, um, I don't know if you remember it. It was just a little line in there. I laughed so hard. I'm like, (laughs) it was someone who was, um, who was a type three, but they were like kind of struggling Mm -hmm. and they talked about drag coefficients. Oh, I haven't seen that. I laughed so damn hard. And it basically was like expressing extreme anger or displeasure towards things that prevent them from getting towards their goal. And I just <laughs> laughed and I'm like, cause in this instance, the drag coefficient was another person. Oh. And I'm like, that's just hilarious. <laughs> I'm like, thankfully I'm a little <laughs> further down the line than that. But, um, I do get fired up pretty quickly about like, man, I got shit to do. You know, I get all mopey. <laughs> 
especially with injuries. I'm like, no, there's no injuries. There's, well, it, there's no injuries. As a three, slowing down is one of the biggest growth edges in learning to just be. So being injured is really challenging. Well, I don't mind being injured. I mind being injured when it means that I can't train towards what I'm training for. I feel like that's the same thing. That's it's totally okay, different. I'm sorry. It's totally okay. different. All right. <laughs> um, okay, we'll talk about this. There, I'm, keep, I'm trying to figure out like where do we jump off into like the type stuff like a little bit more because um, I've been really having fun with with the three, but just really quickly then. Um, I mean, I can give a quick overview of all nine types. Okay, really quick, let me read this. We'll wrap up the shadow side and then do, we'll okay. go to you. So this, again, this is just from the book. It kind of just wraps up in a nice little bow, what we've been talking about. But our human egoic tendency is to want to feel good and to avoid feeling bad about ourselves. But without a way of recognizing, accepting, and addressing all of who we are, including the shadow side and difficult parts of our experience, our personal growth stops and we remain asleep to our potential. Mm. Little bow. Yeah. Off to you with the nine types. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll just give a quick overview to paint a picture for it. So, like I said, there are nine types. I can start with type one. So ones are a body type who often think they are a head type because out of <laughs> all the Enneagram types, they have probably the most vicious inner critic. So oh. ones, what really drives them in life is to be a good person, to have integrity, to do the right thing. And the whole avoidance for a type one is on mistakes. That's what the type structure is avoiding. Avoidance of mistakes. Avoidance of mistakes okay. and maintain that image of being a good person, a moral person, having integrity. And their fo focus of attention, so where their mind automatically goes is noticing what's in error. So essentially, they're the ones that are always pushing for improvement. Type twos are a heart type. I can give names as well. So ones are known as the perfectionist or the reformer. Twos are a heart type, and they're known as the helper or the giver. And their whole avoidance is on being needy. So as a two, my focus of attention is up and out. What do you need? How can I help you? And the whole point of that is so that I can feel worthy of love and be appreciated. Type three, heart type as well, but they're actually often disconnected from their emotions because the three is so focused on achievement. So they're really motivated in life on their tasks and goals. That's where their mind automatically goes to and being recognized for their achievements and being accepted. For a four, uh, sorry, threes are known as the achiever if I didn't say that. Uh, type four are known as the romantics. So the avoidance for a four is sometimes the language around it is like being ordinary, but really it's this, I guess, supposed like not being authentic. So as a four, it's what is my purpose in life? What is my significance? And the focus of attention for a four is what's missing. So this long for ideal. So something is seemingly always unattainable can i just interrupt you really yeah. quick for a type four is that um is romeo and juliet uh is that type four in action because i was wondering about that because i thought i'm like oh, i think maybe there might be elements of that in that How play so? uh that unattainment 
un- mm. does that did I just make up it's, that it word? Made is sense. that a real word? Yeah, it made sense. <laughs> I know what you mean. Unattainable. Yeah. I don't know. I was curious about that. Are there any lit- like any like literary examples that you can think of just off the top of your head about a four? I mean, that um... might be a good one because it's it's dying for love too. So the type four structure from a place of fear, it's looking for the savior. So someone to come into their life and help them have everything that they want to have. And that's where the longing comes in. So Romeo and Juliet. Because that's Juliet, isn't it? Yeah. That... I don't know. Because she dies second, right? I'm not sure. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I really want to watch it now and yeah, see. Yeah, I think... Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, man, I really should have really just took two seconds to Google that. But So it may the, the recording may have just cut off a little bit at the end there um, on the video, but... Well, I can did, just start with one again if you want. No, no, that's, that, we'll go to that. But uh, I was just saying about we did a quick Google for Romeo and Juliet and Juliet did go second she did go second that's it so yes <laughs> we got it got um it. okay so back to you with uh we left it going into five type five sure yeah so and type, you have a diagram too i do have a diagram okay so fives are a head type they're known as the observer and their avoidance is on emptiness so they're really motivated in life for knowledge wisdom being a really capable human and their focus of attention goes up and out to intrusion. So that's like, what do other people expect of me? So if you think of the classic introvert, that's almost the five energy of it. I need to take time alone to recharge my batteries. Self-care, a lot of self-care fives. Fives actually struggle with self-care. Oh, okay. Interesting. So the time to take away, is it not necessarily self-care? Not necessarily. Mm, Okay. And I wouldn't go across the board with that, but I've certainly worked with a lot of fives who struggle with self-care. Mm. But the alone time can kind of serve as an escape from people and people's emotions. They can be really overwhelming for a five. Type six are a head type as well, and they are known as the loyal skeptic. So the whole avoidance here for this type is on un- uncertainty. So they're really motivated for certainty and for support and security. So if you think of the classic like worrier, that's a six. So their focus of attention is up and out to hazard. So what could go wrong? How can I prepare for it? So it's like this constant state of worry or even anxiety. And sevens are head type as well. They're known as the adventurer and the avoidance for sevens is on suffering. So they're really motivated in life. Think of the person who wants like fun, pleasure, stimulation, and their focus of attention is multiple options. So it's noticing the possibilities in the future. They're often the ones with like the really full schedules, often having backup plans because they just, they need that constant stimulation. Whereas the five is almost the opposite in that sense. I can see how you thought I was a seven. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, sevens are really high energy people. They carry a lot of intensity to them. They often speak really quickly and yeah, it's just like here for a good time. Yeah. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? But the answer is no. <laughs> Just sevens. <laughs> it's sevens are actually one of the types I I would have said a couple weeks ago that I see the least in my work. And in the last couple weeks, I've gotten three new seven clients. But I often don't see them. When you think about it, that you're going into pain and suffering if you're coming in for sessions yeah. to some capacity. So 
there's a lot of avoidance that occurs with them and many of them that I've worked with too have some deep childhood trauma that has been repressed and then comes out as an adult that they're now ready to work through but it's terrifying so Robin Williams is a good example who's been like theorized to be a type 7 ultimately we don't know but on the surface you see this happy-go-lucky comedian but this deep sadness inside and ultimately took his life because of it and that can be what happens when we repress our pain for so long as it, it can put us into a spiral. So a lot of people read about type seven and think, yeah, I want to be that type. But ultimately, we all have our struggle. It, it's just hard to be human sometimes. So yeah, on the surface, you see this really positive person, but there can, can be a lot of deep pain under underneath the seven. What's kind of interesting about him, too, just since you brought it up, but um, the what are those masks called? The... The one laughing and the one crying. Oh, that I know what you're whatever that image to. is. Yeah. yeah, the yeah. And that also, I guess, too, is that that's that also was, if if he indeed was a seven, uh, that real disconnect between true self and false self, because mm -hmm. the personality and the persona was so one way, and then so the other way in private, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, type 8s, they're known as the protector. So their whole avoidance is on vulnerability. 8s really are, want to feel in control and protect themselves. And justice is a big theme for 8s too. And their focus of attention is on power. So noticing what needs my control, noticing what needs my assertiveness. And lastly is type 9. They are also a body type, like the 8 and 1. And 9s are actually, they sit at the top of the Enneagram. And in some regards, they represent all of the 9 types. They're known as the peacemaker. The entire type structure here for a 9 is to avoid conflict. So they're really concerned with harmony, peace, and being comfortable. A sense of like internal peace and external peace. And their focus of attention is on other people's positions. So who do I need to align with here? Uh, in some degrees, they can be known as the most empathetic because if, if I'm a nine and you share your perspective with me, I will connect to that. But in doing so, I will often lose my own. So for a nine, finding their voice and speaking their voice is really, really important. So I have one slightly unrelated note, but kind of related to the general themes of what we've been talking about. And then I would like to um, get into a little bit of the, since I'm a three. Okay. There's some good reading. Let's do it's it. It's very interesting. So we'll kind of expand out from there. Uh, there was this one little note that, again, made me laugh. <clears throat> uh, so it was... Uh, yeah, the path to self-knowledge necessarily involves discipline and hard work, so you have to want to do it. You must have the motivation to sustain you through the process. I laughed at that because I'm like, that really needed to be said. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then I like thought about it and I'm like, oh yeah, that really does need to be said. And then that kind of bummed me out. So my question to you, um, more from... I was thinking about this from a leadership perspective too. Mm. So, okay, obviously if you want to do anything in life, as in literally anything, you need some type of intrinsic motivation or intrinsic drive to just get you through the process because you need something to drive your behaviors and your actions forward. So 
yeah, kind of an obvious one. But from a leadership perspective, and then I thought from your perspective as a relationship coach, if you, well, actually, maybe instead of, well, actually, do you want me to give you the hypothetical or should I ask just, I'll give you the hypothetical. <laughs> I do what I want. <laughs> I'm just going to do what I, yeah. Um, a couple comes in. I'm assuming that under this hypothetical, one of them is determined to be there and do the work. And maybe one of them is kind of, meh, you know, kind of hanging back. How do you influence or how much influence do you have? Because you can't make someone do something they don't want to do. But as a relationship coach, how do you kind of, or can you, nudge and influence someone to find that motivation or drive within them to help them get engaged with the work that you're doing? Because it's just not going to work. If, if they're there, and it's not going to work. Just like anything. It's just not going to happen um, if they're not in it. So what do you do if one of them's not in it? Hypothetically speaking. <laughs> it happens a lot. Okay, good. All right. Yeah, go. it happens a lot. <laughs> Often, I would say it's, it's one person is initiating coming into couples coaching and the other person does not want to be there. And So that's pretty drastic though. Like that's a big schism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's very common, and I like to call a spade a spade. Mm -hmm. So you're right in saying that you can't make someone change. It's kind of the idea you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. So again, I like to use playfulness where I can, which does require good rapport with people mm -hmm. generally. So over time I'll be able to gauge that because I never really know coming in. Someone could seem unmotivated and they're really not, but sometimes people make it really clear. I don't want to be here. My wife is making me. I'm like, great. You're going to be the most fun client I've ever had. Aren't you? And I'll start that process right away being playful with them. But I, I like to be blunt, lovingly blunt with people and ultimately say what you're saying that I can't make you change, but you're paying good money to be here and your partner clearly wants it to work, what would motivate you? And it's different for each type. There are certainly types that are way more resistant. I think ultimately just calling a spade a spade and laying it out has been the most helpful thing and using playfulness and lightness where I can. Or I'll go over the stages of change with people. There's actually a model of that that's really helpful. And it's sad to me sometimes when couples come in in that state because one person is fighting so hard and the other person isn't and it takes two to make it work uh, i was reading paul stanley's uh, biography who is told he's got to be a type three <laughs> gotta be and michael jordan is which makes oh, so sure. much more sense now i'm like why do i why am i like so drawn to this guy i'm like ah got it right yeah. Paul Stanley has to be as well. And um, he was divorced uh, pretty nasty earlier in his life. And one of the things that he said was um, they went to couples counseling. And actually the story around it's really funny because um, it was just like, it's like a sitcom situation. It's just so ridiculous, you know. But anyway, one of the things that he said that I thought was interesting was um, maybe one of the functions of couples counseling, not necessarily what you do but the bullshit that he went through which was bullshit um for counseling uh maybe 
instead of one of the functions of it should be to rather than try to build the relationship back together, uh, do it in a way where they can separate more amicably. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that you come across with your own work or not really? No, I come across that as well. Conscious unco- uncoupling. Oh, yeah. okay. Especially when kids that are That just sounds kind of scary, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, I think that this sounds is, challenging. It's so interesting <laughs> because when I hear from other providers as well of like how exhausting it is working with couples or anything of that nature. This is my bread and butter. Like I love it. I, generally speaking, I don't care what they're coming into me for. I just want to support them in living the happiest life. Of course, I'm always wanting to have hope for relationships, but ultimately understand that sometimes it just isn't a good fit no matter what you try. So conscious uncoupling can be intense, especially when kids are involved because something strange happens to many people when they go through a divorce and the person that you see your partner that you've been with turns into a completely different person i i was actually working with this couple for a few months and we wrapped up a couple months ago and they had decided to separate and they have kids young kids and in my last session with them i just emphatically I allowed my emotions to come out which is I would say using self-disclosure is a skill that this is a whole other tangent because I have Mm -hmm. so many opinions on it but it's it's an art you have to be really mindful so I was very intentional I let my emotions come out a little bit of tears come out and I emphatically told them stay kind to one another if you take one thing away from all the work that we've done I said stay kind to one another They did not. They reached back out recently. It was a very vicious divorce. And that's what I mean is when you go through a separation with someone, sometimes you'll meet a version of your partner that you didn't know existed. It can get really nasty. So I think having support through that process is really important. I would have loved to continue working with them through that. But instead we wrapped up and not to say I would have been able to save it, but I could have been a helpful tool for them. And there are therapists and coaches out there who actually specialize in that too. I couldn't have a full caseload of that. <laughs> Just quick, quick aside on that. Um, that's why I couldn't do family law. Yep. When we studied family law, I'm like, give me a criminal any day of the week. This is horrible. Like I can't. Well, okay. <laughs> Certain types of criminals are a little bit more easy to work with, I find. But um, and then that comes, I mean, that's a really easy or not easy, but there's a really simple, straightforward question when it comes to couples with kids, which is you, you can you can attack each other pretty viciously. But when there's kids involved, that's a different story. And I think it, it seems very simple, which is do you hate your spouse more than you love your kid? Right. So if you keep that in the forefront of your mind, then you probably would do things a little bit differently. If you don't have kids, then I don't know, maybe it's just a free for all war. But (laughs) yeah, when you have children, that's, yeah, I don't know. I wish all people thought like that. It's, it's very heartbreaking to see what happens sometimes when couples split. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause the kids didn't ask for that. That's a couple problem. That's Mm -hmm. not your children didn't ask you for that. So you have a responsibility to kind of, yeah. you know, there's a right way and a wrong way to do things. I think certainly with, when it comes to the sacrifice and the role that you play as a parent, it's a little bit different, but yeah. 
anyway quick thing on that what how did we get here i don't know trying to trace it back i'm like oh gee oh okay it was yeah influence over uh someone doesn't want to be there oh one person does someone doesn't yeah um so yeah kind of getting back to that then um I mean, I guess you kind of answered the question, but is there anything more that you thought about that that is relevant? How to get somebody motivated, you mean? Yeah. I mean, you gave a good answer already. But any, <laughs> Your answer any, wasn't good enough? It was just, just back, backtrack a touch and uh, <laughs> beef it up a bit. <laughs> if not, that's okay. I got other things. <laughs> no, I think I touched on everything. Okay. Calling it out, being playful, going over the stages of change. It's hard when people aren't ready to change, but their partner is. It can also be really challenging, too, when partners are growing at different speeds. So that's something I educate a lot as well, is some people are more motivated. So say, for example, one partner in the couple is listening to tons of podcasts and reading the Enneagram books, and the other one isn't. They're just showing up to session, and they're maybe just taking what I work with in session with them and implementing that so that they're on the same track, but they're at different stages in it resentment mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) resentment can get vicious there so i i just like laying everything out so when i notice what's happening when i see the patterns that we're working with i just name them and i normalize them and then get them to understand them themselves and understand each other okay i like it i mean you're a good example of that i sent you a the typing after we did the typing interview, I sent you a subtype test. I sent you an online test. Sent you some book recommendations. I think you responded within thirty minutes, and I'd already done it. And now you're sitting there with a book that's highlighted. Not everyone's going to do that. I have a professional responsibility, Amanda. Come on. But even my three clients, when I th- I can think of one client in particular, he bought the Enneagram books for all of the, his favorite people in his life and just started handing them out because he became so obsessed with it. So. That's not a professional thing. It's, I see it as a three thing, this real mm. like energy towards it. I did that recently, actually, about a, a it's called On Beauty, the book. Mm. It's really interesting. It's, it's about beauty. Where's my copy? Bit of a giveaway. <laughs> uh, I don't feel like comfortable with you just yet. <laughs> I invite you into my home. <laughs> <laughs> you feel like, yeah. <laughs> so, you know what's funny? I was thinking about that. Uh, okay, so we'll, let, let's jump off. Let's okay. go tangent time now. Okay. I was thinking about that. Is that a four thing? Because this is the second time we're recording. Yes. Um, the first time it went well, I thought I kind of sucked. <laughs> I didn't think I was very good. Um, not really. I thought the podcast went really well until I did the reading. And then I was like, oh man, there's a lot that I could have talked to you about that I thought was really important. And so I'm like, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> and she bought it. And uh, I didn't buy it. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> um, but one of the things I was thinking about was like, man, like we, we had a, we had a couple phone calls and a couple zoom calls. So that's, that's actually a decent amount of time that you interact with someone. And then, yeah, like, we're, we're at your place right now. And I'm like, 
Jeez, like you let some guy that you, you didn't, you don't really know, who's like also a fighter, who's also kind of like we don't know. Do you what. see my knife on the table right there? <laughs> it's, yeah, Watch it's, out! It's closer to me than this to you. Um, but you know, yeah, like you don't know what's going on with this guy. So I'm like, and I was, I actually t was very flattered by that because I'm like, she's that's like pretty nice, kind of comforting thing. I'm like, it's that's that's good, you know. Um, is that a four thing? That kind of. I mean, fours are hardwired for a connection, for sure. And well, what do you even think about that? Do you even think anything of like, oh yeah, just come here and do it? Like, does that even register? Because like to me, it registered as like, it's like a really open, nice, kind thing to do. So to you, does that just not? Because I mean, I'm a social guy, so I mean, I would do the same. Yeah. It's also a little bit different because it's like, you know. I think I didn't okay question it because we have a mutual friend. That's if I, right. if you were a stranger and I didn't know you, and then I saw your podcast and your social media and saw that you were a fighter, I don't think you'd be in my apartment right now. Okay, for, you're giving me a little too much credit. <laughs> I'm not good. <laughs> like, let's just be very clear. Like, okay. I'm not good. All right. <laughs> Every time I go to class, I'm like, I have that mortality. I'm very aware of my mortality because I'm in a room with 12 other people and I'm like 11 of these people could kick my ass. There's nothing I could do about it except run. I'm quick. Okay. Well, we I have Keanu Reeves here just in case. <laughs> That's it. In case things get out of hand. Um, okay. Funny. <laughs> I thought you'd like that. Um, I got a three thing for you. Okay. I didn't celebrate my birthday for quite a long time. I thought it was lame. <laughs> <laughs> how is that a three thing? I didn't like it. I'll tell you how. Okay. <laughs> my argument was pretty simple. I'm like, all I did, this is so, this is, this is like, now that I'm, I'm like self-editing, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. This is kind of rough. <laughs> it's just you and me. It's just you and me here. There's no camera. There's no microphone. Um, I would think to myself, I'm like, I didn't. I didn't do anything. I'm just alive still. And like, we're going to celebrate me for a day. Oh, like even me saying that celebrate me for a day. Like I got a headache. Like I got a little bit of a Interesting. headache. I'm like, I don't, I don't like that. Uh, it's weird. And that's why I get really, um, comically hot under the collar when it's like birthday week. I'm like, son of a bitch. And I'm like, you know what I mean? Like what is wrong with you? Birthday week? A birthday isn't enough. You got a whole week celebrating how freaking special you are. See, that sounds great to me. <laughs> like, that actually makes me, me curious break, how man. each Enneagram type would like to spend their birthday. So normally I'm, I'm, I'm an advocate for the deep work in the Enneagram. And when people fully understand the system and the power it has, I actually used to have a lot of resistance because there's so much fluffy Enneagram stuff out there, like memes. I used to hate it. And it would make me really mad because I'm like, people aren't getting the depth. And my best friend... She ultimately said a couple of things, but one, that it can be a good tool for people to come into the Enneagram, but also to make light of real things for people. So even something like this is a good example. I, for myself as a four, and I can think of a handful of fours that I know, we always cry on our birthdays. I can't remember Out the last... Sadness? Yeah. Oh. I can't remember the last birthday that I didn't cry. Over what? <laughs> Oh, like it just, you, you just, you feel sadness on your birthday? I feel sadness on my birthday. Oh, okay. Yeah. But it's, I want a birthday week. I want to be special. I want to be celebrated. For a whole week, huh? <laughs> All year. Like All my week. life. Every day. Every day. Yeah. 
Well, it's been sadness huh. for different reasons, but yeah, I can think of myself. Okay. And that's what I'm like, you're crying over this. No, like, it's, probably it's different work reason. on that. <laughs> it's the same thing every year. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You probably fix solve that. your problem. But, yeah. No, I mean, I don't need to get into it, but yeah, different reasons. Okay. Yeah, that's why I, I literally thought that I'm like, the same thing no. every year? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> it's not very efficient. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Uh, let's talk about The Hobbit. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I watched um, part two of The Hobbit yesterday. So right where smog, smog, lighten up the debate. Um, so the thing that I thought, okay, so you got the dragon, dragon, pretty common uh, archetypal construct, um, greed, obviously being the big one. I didn't really think much about... Uh, I have a book that I bought about like fictional uh, mythological creatures that kind of dives into it a little bit more from a psychodynamic perspective. So I'm excited for that. Um, but I kind of just always attributed like, okay, dragon greed. Okay. You know, pretty, pretty cut and dry. And then when I was watching it yesterday, I was like, oh, I found something new, which was that he's, uh, smog, smog is, uh, extremely vain as well. I thought that was an interesting thing. I never really caught on that. Uh, greed definitely is number one priority, but close second, extremely vain. That caught my attention. Then I also thought um, kind of third, but maybe a little bit further down the line would have been uh, gluttony as well. I don't know much about gluttony in general, so I got to go back and look into that. Um, but those first two things kind of caught my attention. Um, so jump into vice virtue. Yeah. So maybe, I mean, you, yeah, you can take it from there. Yeah. So with the Enneagram, there are actually not just nine types, there are 27 types. So each type is broken down into three through our biological human instincts. So as humans, we have our self-preservation instincts, our sexual and our social Sexual is also known as one-to-one, -one, so it's not just sexual in nature. That I was disappointed to learn. Because <laughs> yeah. you, you even said you're probably, you sound like a sexual three. I'm like, oh, all right. <laughs> and then I looked it up. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's not about <laughs> sex. It's more this like one-on-one -on -one intimate connections. Yeah. That's what sexual subtypes thrive in. So each Enneagram type is broken down into that. So there's a self-preservation one, sexual one, social one, self-preservation two, sexual, social two etc. So how the subtypes are created is through some of the, of the language around it is the vice. It's also called the passion or the driving emotion. With my work with clients, I tend to use the language of driving emotion because it just makes sense quicker to people. But essentially our type, so say I'm a one, as a one, that blends with my subtype, let's say self-preservation, through my vice and the vices in the traditional language it's built off of the seven deadly sins so for three it's vanity a seven is gluttony eight is lust uh, as a four it's envy so that's the and i like the language of driving emotion too because it helps us really connect to that in a tangible way of I know when I'm caught in my type structure when envy, which shows up as comparison, is like ruling my life. 
right? Or for three when vanity is driving them or seven when gluttony is driving them, then it's a good indicator that we're stuck in type structure. And like I said, there's an antidote to everything. So for a four, the antidote to envy is equanimity, which is emotional balance. So we can organically grow in that way, but we can also consciously connect to these higher parts of ourselves. Quick thing for fours. Um, envy, is there a relationship between envy and sadness? So in the Enneagram, each type has a driving emotion and a habit of mind. And th that's like the loop that we can get caught in. Okay. So the driving emotion for a four is envy and the habit of mind is melancholy. Right. Because that makes sense to me where yeah. I'm like, okay, sadness and envy, the same. Okay. You yeah. can kind of draw, draw connections between those. Yeah. Okay. So back to the birthday thing. Mm -hmm. I make it very clear. I was not raised in that way. Uh, I was raised very love you as you are. You're like there. I didn't have to really, I, I, okay. I can remember being four or five and it was birthday time. And even then I'm like, why? <laughs> I'm really? like, this doesn't make any sense to me. Cause I'm like, for what? Just for showing up on the day. So, but everyone, but the, the, the environment that I was in was so not like that really was just a personal driving, like at that age, that was already in me totally contrary to everything in my environment, mm. which was kind of this really weird epiphany that I had, uh, like a few days ago, like for, for doing the reading, for reviewing for this podcast. Like I, I can remember that or I'm like, wow. Even back then, I've come a long way though. I've, I've, I've done better at that. Um, even just the idea. So one of the central factors for a three is, is that you have to earn love and respect from others and you win things in order to show that and to equate that. So, um, that's kind of makes a lot of sense when I think about like, Oh, okay. I can see how, how I used to do that. Now I think I've come to a place where, and that was why it was funny when we did the typing um, test when you were conducting it and you're like, okay, which one of these four things is the most important? And I, I don't remember all four, but I remember the, the two that stood out and it was connection and I don't think you used the word winning, but it, you know, winning. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, definitely connection. And you're like, oh, what? <laughs> You're like, oh, okay, all right, we got to, <laughs> because I, I think I kind of got that growth to that growth point yeah. where I really, and it's hard because my shadow side says one thing, which is if you stand between me and my goal, God help you because I'm going to fucking mow you down and it's going to be rough for you. And that can be pretty brutal, right? Um, I was going to say, especially in a fight, but I always get my ass kicked anyway. So yeah, especially <laughs> brutal for me in that situation when it played out literally. Um, but you don't, it's not about having to um, earn something or win something. And like connection is just, that is number one. That is, that is more important than just winning a bunch of things. Cause that doesn't, 
I don't know, winning things is great and I think you should. And if you're passionate about something, like go do it at the highest level that you want to. Like for sure, go pursue that. Because like, you never know what you can actually achieve once you get into it. But at the expense of what? I think that's changed for me where the, the parameters through which I will make decisions and be a psycho study competitor and hide and train and just yeah do psycho shit like that i've i've had to adjust that um but but happily happily making that adjustment i think it's the right thing to do can be a challenge though yeah balance not quite but you know balance ish yeah you know balance for me let's put it that way balance Mm -hmm. for me which again so maybe is a from your overall perspective um with your clients what do you do if um the the the, like what someone defines as balance is just wildly different from what that other person defines defines it as and there seems to be like a like you got one here and one here and it's like okay there's a lot of space in between these two like what what do we kind of what do we do with that is it a matter of getting the two of them kind of growing upwards and then inwards and then trying to connect is that the play yeah, call on that I like or? that vision upwards and inwards to me it's relationship is so much about collaboration yeah good point effective collaboration mm-hmm. teachable skill I think so anything in particular I guess empathy is again part of that you got to understand where that person's coming from and respect their perspective. Yeah. Awareness, understanding, compassion, empathy. Compassion too. Yep. Forgiveness, playfulness. It's funny. I actually, in a relationship, I remember we were going over our core values together. I love doing that with couples. It's very important. Yeah. I was, I was People doing, don't do that, eh? Uh, no. Yeah. Or not as much as they should, yeah. <laughs> no. And I remember going over, I had written out my list and my partner at the time I'd written out his list. And I remember playfulness was on my. <laughs> I just saw that. You saw I just what? saw your face. And I'm like, <laughs> just the micro expression on that. Yeah, playfulness was on mine, and I remember saying playfulness, and he just said, "No, playfulness is not something that's important to me in my life." And I was in a little bit of my people pleaser era. Was his name Debbie Downer? <laughs> But I remember that was, that's actually a great example of a boundary that I ignored. So I still remember in that moment when I said, tune in to how your body feels, it was a sinking feeling from my throat down to my stomach. Um, And I got really sad, but what came out was, okay, yeah, it doesn't need to be a value. But my whole body was screaming, Amanda, that's your top value. And... I've really reclaimed that and thankfully I never lost it in my work with clients. I've maybe I've now amplified it even more because to me, even when I speak with couples, just doing my own research who are 40, 50 years into marriage, like playful, you need the playfulness. Life gets hard, things get serious. And when, not to say we ignore the depth or the hurt or the pain, but when we can bring lightness into the heaviness. That it helps has, acknowledge it. Exactly. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's, it's something that's very important to me, and I will never lose again. I know that sinking feeling, by the way. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's... 
I mean, we all do, but, but when I was watching you describe, I'm like, oh yeah. yeah that's yeah, where yeah. generally we know that a boundary or a value is being crossed. And it takes courage to stand in that because ultimately it could mean losing a person in your life and walking away from someone you feel like you love is for me, one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. And I've been through a lot. So, and I hear that from clients too, like walking away from someone who isn't aligned with you is really challenging. So it's really important to stay true to yourself in relationship and then ultimately find a partner who's willing to collaborate with you on these really important things and who values the same things that you do or at least very similar because that's where a lot of core issues can come in when values are misaligned. What do you do with that? So if you really do just have a situation where, and I can't give specifics because it's too contextual to try and do that, but just generally speaking, when core values, like the significant ones on the hierarchy of core values are just totally misaligned, is that the scenario or at least a likely scenario where it's like, mm, I think you're just going to have to walk away from someone that you really, really care about here um, because you just can't. That's frustrating, eh? Because you just can't make it work because you can't. You, yeah, some things you just can't come together on. Mm -hmm. Like if you really core values. Damn. Yeah. 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 Taking time to really I like to pick five. I feel like that's a good number. Taking time to think about your own core values, personally, professionally, and then also your relational values, because that could look a little bit different. But ultimately, if those are misaligned, it can create a lot of friction. So an example, let's say that someone values in relationship health and wellness, and their partner does Party not animal. take care, <laughs> just does not take care of themselves. Over time, you can imagine the friction that that would create. So ultimately, you can choose to walk away from a relationship like that, or you can just choose to accept your partner as they are, which is certainly possible, or third option, you're in perpetual fights because of it. You ever hear that? Uh, I hear this, this expression more or less. Well, pardon me. I used to hear it because I used to hang out with some lame people, but I hang out with good people now. But one of the things that you'll hear just casual conversation i just don't get why he does this I, I don't get why she does that and like that kind of sounds like what we're talking about here where it's like you're just not not that you have to agree with it but you don't even understand why they're doing what they're doing like that's different whether you agree or disagree with it that's an entirely different set of problems to 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 challenge and contend with but the fact that you don't even know where that person is coming from how frustrating is that? Like, you're trying to fight smoke. Like, it just, you can't pinpoint. Yeah. The answer to everything's empathy, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> like, that's like one of the key things, right? Because it's that empathy and like that leads to understanding. Not that you agree, but at least you understand, right? Yeah. You never want to be so empathetic that you condone abusive behavior though and it, that feels That's important right. to caveat because some people can lean so far into empathy at points when they should be setting boundaries or walking away that works internally too but i was just kind of thinking that as you i know what you mean by that <laughs> but um 
Yeah, as far as like dealing with the, I mean, everything that we've been saying when it comes to it, its direction towards working with a partner, all that same process is what you use internally too. That's kind of nice, right? Because it's the same tools that you just, different context, just a different job, but got the same tool. Yep. But there's nuance because there are different little, hmm. I'm just having a moment. <laughs> Take your moment. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Um, I got, do you have anything else on that? I got a thing to kind of pivot off. Different thing here. I thought you'd find interesting. Uh, talking about a three. I just highlighted this very, very brief sentence. <laughs> totally out of context, but I think you'll get a kick out of it. And they can be hard-hearted and insensitive to others in their race to the finish line. I laughed at that too. Like, That's funny. That. So I was recently involved in a relationship, no longer in that relationship. Kind of bummed me out. I thought it was, I thought we got along. I liked her. Um, relating to that, one of the things that I was most disappointed of, selfishly, was selfishly and unselfishly, but type three, <laughs> which was the training and the studying that I'm doing is starting to ramp up and climax around July is like the big, like the big thing. Um, <laughs> as you fight with the cat. I'm just waiting to see if he's going to attack you. Oh, he's okay. He's, <laughs> he's, th he's thinking about it. He's thinking about it. One of the things that kind of bummed me out about not being in that relationship anymore was because, well, actually, what I liked about that relationship was because it gave me an opportunity to be caring towards someone else, which I really liked and was actually kind of surprised at how well I did because it's been a little while. So I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be like very, you know, it's rust, right? So it's just rust. But I actually did surprisingly like, okay, you know, this this was actually, you, you, did, a, you did a decent job. There's always room for improvement. But you did a good job. Like, be proud of that. That That is something to be proud of. And it bummed me out to know that I'm like, oh, man, because I have a propensity to do just that. And then as the training and the challenges get more difficult, I get further and further away emotionally because I have to, to do what I need to do. And that bummed me out. I didn't like that. I don't know what to do about it, but I just didn't like it. And I thought you should know about it. <laughs> I feel like with that, ultimately we could bring it back around to values. If you're partnered with somebody who values and respects the th same things that you do, then they'll have understanding around what you need to do as you ramp up in that training. Oh no, but I would want them around anyway. Like that, that's kind of like the thing. Like I liked that when I was with her and I was very honest with myself because I'm very obsessive, especially with the stuff that I'm doing, like really, really obsessive. And I would tell myself before I would see her every time I would say it out loud, put this stuff away and go be with this person. Yeah. And I was like, okay, we do it. And I did. And it was great. And I loved that because it gave me a break from just the intensity and the pain and, you know, the physical pain of, you know, and sometimes emotional too because it's some of the stuff's pretty draining but 
Um, I love that. And so that actually was one of the things that kind of, one of the biggest things that bummed me out about the relationship being over was that, oh man, now I just, now there's no one to contain me. <laughs> I'm like, oh no. But I think, I also think that sense of responsibility that if you're going to spend time with someone, um, I, I even think this too with the podcast, because like, especially now that I'm on like the last few that I'm going to be doing, few, handful, whatever, um, I make a point too, like, Kate, you got other things to do, but right now you have a podcast, what do you have to do? And this is what you need to talk about and just be in the moment, like just be, and then be grateful for the moment too, because that totally is a, gratitude's a funky thing, you know, it's like, it's, it's really under the radar but that thing's like a ray gun you know what i mean like it, it's like so much power in that thing um but that dance between present and gratitude um just kind of curious but like for your own life in general because you also have a lot of activities that you do and so i would imagine that you probably sense that you know, you're going snowboarding or you're doing something that you like. I don't know. I think I could probably take a guess that you, you probably are pretty grateful and in the moment for those things. I've learned to be. So yeah. a big growth edge for a four is gratitude. Oh, interesting. It's, it's like a lifelong journey for them to connect to it. Well, that makes sense though, because of envy, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and the focus of attention is something's missing. So yeah. even in moments when I'm doing something, uh, I can still catch myself going there. Fours are also very hard on themselves too, or at least I am as a sexual subtype. Competition is right up there. I think the name for it is actually competition in some literature. And for me, it's, yeah, it's been a big growth edge. It reminds me of the first time I went and snowboarded Whistler. I'm from Ontario. I wanted to live in BC my whole life and finally moved here in 2021. And I was snowboarding Whistler for the first time. I stopped at the top. I put on Blink-182 to channel my inner teenager and I just cried. I was so grateful. Happy and tears. Happy tears. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. I <laughs> it also wasn't cried your, happy It wasn't tears. your birthday that day. No, it was not my birthday. Uh, <laughs> I cried happy tears and it's moments like that that I have to consciously connect to that happened organically and I love moments like that I feel like that's a real marker of growth when those things happen organically but honestly on the day-to-day -day basis that's it's harder to come by it's harder to come by so it's a constant practice for me I mean being back in Squamish I lived in Vancouver for a little bit being back in Squamish it makes it a heck of a lot easier because I open my windows or go outside and it's just mountains and I'm, I'm the air is better up here too. Like everything just everything. It's just like, yeah, yeah. It's quiet. Yeah. And I think Vancouver is like a town. Like it's a little teenie weeny little town. Every, I, I thinks, don't know they, a lot thinks of, it's a big city. I don't, I don't, I don't understand know a lot Vancouver. of people. And every time I went out in Vancouver, I saw people I knew. So yeah, it's yeah. definitely like a town. Blech. Get yeah. me out. Okay. <laughs> As you move there. <laughs> yeah, you never know where You're I am. You're moving end downtown. <laughs> For a bit. <laughs> <laughs> moving on up yeah um what else we got okay let me let me uh jump on that gratitude thing the how, how would i say 
social media is not a place for gratitude, is it? Does that suck away your gratitude levels, do you find? I don't spend a lot of time on social media. Is that why? I should probably do more. Um. <laughs> no, you don't. Social well, media sucks. Yeah. I can't stand it. <laughs> I can't stand it. I bought a flip phone. I know. I'm really <laughs> proud of you for that, honestly. <laughs> I bought a Okay, actually, do, do you have anything on that? Or I could talk about this flip phone thing. Yeah, talk about a flip phone. I'll, I'll, give you, thing. I'll give you a, a diving board to jump off of with that. Okay. I bought a flip phone. <laughs> And it's activated and it's real it's and it was hilarious because I called uh, I called my mom this morning because I activated it and I'm like she's not gonna answer because it's a number she doesn't know so I called her back a second time right away she <laughs> mom answers and I go it's your son on his flip phone <laughs> we just start laughing like oh geez right so um, I was pretty proud of that the reason for the flip phone for a while many months I've been feeling, which I think is fairly common, not to like um, a, a huge degree, but enough, I've been feeling it enough that it's registered consciously and I'm like, eh, I probably should address this somehow. Feeling connected, feeling connected to everything and connected to nothing all at the same time. Mm -hmm. That's how I feel when I touch my phone. When I pick up that stupid thing, that's literally what I feel, that, that exact thought, just from this. Yeah. And so I'm like, yeah, you know what? This is bullshit. What am I doing with this? Fuck it. So yeah, bought a flip phone, and I'm in the process of, um, you can't get rid of a smartphone. Did you realize that? What do you mean? You can't get rid of it. You can't. Think about your uh, banking two-factor, uh, what do you call it? two-factor identification for like your emails and your banking account because everything's online. So you need to have a phone that it's linked to so you can get codes that you can log into different things. Your Google, you know, I use yeah. uh, G, like a G Gmail and Google Drive and all that, Google Sheets, two-factor identification. You need that. You need the code. Like, because the plan was get the, get the flip phone and then get rid of the smartphone. And then I had this realization that you literally cannot get rid of a smartphone anymore you mm. have to have it that's scary yeah freak me out no yeah. it freaked me out because i'm like this is this is pretty trippy that you you are in a we we are in a position where now okay of course i could but life the cost benefit of okay i can't be locked out of accounts yeah like i need to be able to get into accounts and you know so i'm like wow like what a what a weird thing to realize you know that it's happened um so the plan is um i'm gonna keep the the phone and the and the current sim card and the number associated with it because it's for all my accounts and banking and all that um but it's not going to leave i don't take it with me mm. like i'm not going to take it with me places anymore um think about like concerts or music venues there's no tickets anymore it's all on your phone oh, yeah. and you can't do it on a flip phone like you can't scan that so you're we have we're wild i don't know what to say i'm like i'm freaking out <laughs> like this is messed there's up, a man. show on netflix i watched about this each episode was different mm. black mirror i think it's called black oh, mirror yeah like the where technology is yeah, yeah. taking over and different have mm -hmm. you watched it i've seen a few different episodes but it's it's good it's scary but it's good yeah the one yeah i remember one with the pig remember that one 
the prime oh. minister. That that was pretty mm-hmm. funny. That made me laugh. That's okay. We'll talk about that at a different time. Um, the whole thing could have been avoided if if I was a character in that. I'm like, guys, there's an easy, <laughs> like we're all missing a solution here. It would have all been avoided. But um, that's kind of like my equivalent of like you know, because I'm better call Saul. That's that's like okay. yeah, you call me, you fix it, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, that that connected to everything and connected to nothing all at the same time. And so I thought. Okay, well, I'm not going to text people anymore. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call them. Mm. Whoa. <laughs> right? What a novel idea. But yeah, no, I just I just kind of got fed up with it. I'm like, I don't understand why... It's almost like when you call someone, it's almost like intrusive now. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Where it's like, hey, can I call you in yeah. a text? It's like, just call, man. Like, what do you do? <laughs> just pick up the phone and call. So yeah, I'm just really going to make a point and no voicemail uh, on the flip phone either. I'm like, no, don't even bother with that. I'll call you back, you know, or you drop a quick two line text that I can see that at least, you know, you get a little contact, but no, you know what? The texting thing, bullshit, not going to do it. I'm going to call you. It's a three second call. You know, is that really that inconvenient? You know, I think that would be so cute for dating. Oops. <laughs> You spill in your coffee. <laughs> Water. Uh, I think that would be cute for dating. I feel like calling people is a lost art too. I love it. I always, and I, I will usually think of like a, a bit. So like, you know, I'll, <laughs> like I'll think of a bit. Like it'll be like, you know, like, you know, one thing I like to do. Oh, it makes me laugh. So I'll be like, <laughs> so like if you're trying to go, um, you're trying to either get in your car or um, someone's house. So like you actually need a key to, you know, not just like a restaurant where you just open the door, but like a locked door you're trying to get through. One thing that I like to do, it's really funny to watch, is I'll, I'll pretend like there's a, a killer trying to get us and then like freaking out like, oh my God, open the door, open the door. And then like just, just like freaking out. It's really immature. But you get a lot of joy out of oh, it. Oh, man. I love it. Especially when they get, like, freaked out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That shit uh. makes me laugh so hard. <laughs> but I, I, is, is this a... I don't know. My sense of humor is pretty wild. But, like, is it a three thing? Or is it just maybe my wacko sense of humor? Which is... I also kind of enjoy... I really enjoy making people uncomfortable. Like, I enjoy that. I think it's really funny. Um, I'm also extremely sarcastic when I want to be. So I like screwing with people in that way. Because I can I can be pretty good about, like, I think he's being serious. And then mm. I'm, yeah, just straight-faced. <laughs> and, and then I'll turn my back and laugh. And, you know. But is that, a, is that a three thing? Or is that just my beautifully weird sense of humor? There are still times where I'm curious if you're a seven. <laughs> you're still on I'm still seven. on it. That is a... I see that a lot with sevens, but it just makes me think of in the Enneagram, there's three different social stances. So the assertive, withdrawn, and what? I'm blanking because we've been talking so for, for so long. Sorry compliant. <laughs> assertive, withdrawn, and compliant. Uh, three sevens and eights are assertive types. And I can see them all kind of poking right. fun with people in that sense. Right. Yeah. Do you enjoy that? Because you, you, you're playful. Like, do you consider that playful? You're like, that is stress. But see, like, if you found that stressful, like, genuinely, I kind of would, f- I'd find that funny. 
to a degree like you don't want to genuinely upset somebody yeah. but like i think it's good to feel a bit unsteady comfortably like comfortably unsteady because then if you're uncomfortably unsteady that's just kind of mean like it, that, that's not yeah. funny that's just mean right so yeah you, you need to find that, people but... who like yeah who match that i could see sexual subtypes across the board perhaps ha having that energy mm. so like for you because when you say playful is that like like practical jokes and uh teasing oh, or like what what is that kind of because to me that's what i would assume that's what that means so this is important to touch on when it comes to values or even just interpretation so you define playfulness as something completely <laughs> different than me and that's something that'll take couples through let's say they both value honesty what does honesty mean to you and what does it mean to me so I'm not saying I disagree with your definition of playfulness, but my definition is more around this idea of lightheartedness. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that's something really good to reflect on, too, is we ultimately filter everything through our own Enneagram type lens. So when I say playful to you, you're hearing something completely different. And this is something that I like to point out is like as adults, we're playing one big game of telephone. If you remember yeah. that game from a kid, yeah. like you could say something to me and my filters hear it completely differently. And that's what so many disagreements or miscommunications can come from. The ongoing joke in couples coaching or therapy is like, there's your version, your version, and then the real version. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Generally speaking, or Enneagram specific, if you can tie it to that, uh, self-deprecating <laughs> is that, <laughs> is that, um, I find that to be very important for me, especially cause I think I'm pretty awesome in everything that I do. And then it's really important to just be like, nah, man, you suck. Like that, that's that, you, obviously that's the critic voice, but you know what I mean? Like, it's important to like, pump the brakes a little bit every now and then and do, i think doing it with humor is like a, a nice way of doing it because it also involves people around you it's not just inner focused it's inner and outwardly focused um mm. do you find that to be is that a type thing or um i would assume that's a humor thing which of course goes across all types but is, are there more types that are maybe more self-deprecating in that way and do you think that's an important quality to have in a relationship i think it's a very important quality for a three to have and it's one of their highest qualities if you go <laughs> is it really it is if oh you okay go, i didn't come to that point in the it reading. might not be in that book oh, okay. but on the enneagram institute they have the levels of development on their website and i believe in level one or two for the three um it has self-deprecating humor so being able to yeah I do very much enjoy making fun of other people too, though. So let's not <laughs> let's not get too carried away with that. <laughs> okay, very interesting. Yeah. In a relationship, do you think that's important, or um, it's just if it's there, that's good. If it's used right, it's good. But if it's not, whatever kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's very dependent on the couple because I know a lot of people and clients who don't like that. Right. And find it really hurtful. So, again, it's being able to communicate that and ultimately finding someone who's a match with you. If that's a huge part of what you love about you, find someone else who loves that. 
because that's a painful part in relationship too when there are, are parts of you that you love that make you feel most like you and when your partner doesn't love that about you that can be really challenging what do you do with that if that's the case walk away as yeah. fast as you can okay now. Um, <laughs> that's tough yeah because again that kind of goes back to like the core value thing right some people don't care so some people it's like if my partner will be annoyed at things about me that i love and that whatever it is what it is other people care more deeply so person that's cool specific. that teflon that i yeah, admire that, that. that is not I, me. yeah i don't have that either <laughs> i really admire that though like there really is something to be said well okay if you're in a relationship with someone maybe that's a little bit of a different dynamic but just in general to have that teflon on you like yeah, yeah whatever like <sighs> That's good like, for you that's like actually that that kind of shows me not a seven because sevens and eights are like that mm. like take or leave it heart types we again much more care about what other people think so it can be and think of it too as a four or three we want to be accepted fully for who we are person specific the things i love most yeah. about me i want my partner to love too I'm trying to think anything else. I thought I did have like one other thing that I wanted to talk about. Um, while I attempt to do that, is there anything that jumps out at you? Yeah. As far as it's covering not, that we missed. It's not super we... related to the Enneagram, but it's coming to mind. So I'll name yep. it is the importance of finding the right provider, whether it's a coach or therapist or any type of healer. I've heard over my years so far, a lot of horror stories. I've mm -hmm. experienced some very negative things with providers and I would just want to encourage people to take their time finding the right fit and if you've had a bad experience, don't write it off completely. That feels really important. There's research out there that suggests that the success of your couples therapy or coaching largely depends on the relationship you have with your provider and not everyone's going to be a good fit for you and that's okay thank you very much for being on the podcast well i was gonna say thank you very much for being on the podcast but thanks very much for letting me invade your space and redecorate and thanks for not beating me up <laughs> <laughs> i'm like that was not never a real possibility but um okay you're welcome you're welcome uh, don't make me take my rings off. <laughs> How long did you have that one in the holster? I didn't. It oh, popped out. Okay. I like. I kind of figured. I'm like, you were waiting. You were no. waiting. On, on no, this one. is where I'm like, mom, dad, who let me be an adult? Stop this. <laughs> That's good. But um, okay, trying to be serious, Amanda. I know. Sorry. Um, thank you for the suggestions and telling me what to do. Um, it's much appreciated. <laughs> It's nice to get bossed around every once in a while, you know, it's, it's, it feels good. It feels good. So, um, but yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of it. So thank you. Thank you for being a part of this. Appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me.